You're listening to Superstition, Season 2, Episode 3, Chronological Order, Part 1, See You Down the Road. This is a story about something that happened a long time ago that still has an impact on my life today. (laughs) Oldest story in the book. Everyone has one, somewhere. Even if your life has been safe and boring, something happened to you once that changed you into who you are. You may not even know what it was exactly, but it happened. And there's a story there. I've always been one of those people who has a story for everything. (laughs) It's a great party trick. Thinking about self-defense classes? I've got one about clonking a guy on the head with a wine bottle. Want to know the best place to drink in Tampa Bay? I know a place, but I'm not allowed back in there. You think you've got a good sexcapade story? One time, I had to drive myself to the ER with no pants on because, uh, well, you get what I mean. A story for everything. Recently, I've been wondering if that's such a good thing after all. My name is Jacqueline St. James. I'm a private eye. In a way, that means my business is understanding stories. The ones people are willing to tell, and the ones they aren't. I'm here! Just come on in! Working late? Huh? Oh, Izzy, hi. Boy, howdy, it's late. I didn't realize it was dark outside. Expected to see you at the bar is all. Yeah, got a bit distracted. You miss me? I can see that. You've brought the entire library to your office. And taken up scrapbooking. Hold on, I'll go buy you a big bulletin board, some red string, and a cigar. I dove a little far into it. I'm pulling a Mike Hanlon, I guess. Sorry? Well, I'm trying to create a chronology of the town. What do you know about how it was founded? A bunch of white people showed up in a place where they weren't wanted and tried to build a settlement. Didn't work. They died. That happened a few times, actually, but they didn't exactly take the hint. And now they're everywhere, and we can't get rid of them. Is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, actually. So if they'd just left well enough alone... Who knows? It's like... It's like this spot is... Cursed in ancient Indian burial ground. (laughs) (laughs) All I can find is that superstition was officially incorporated in the 1930s. It had a mayor before that in a Wild West kind of way. And the rest is just uh, pieces. A real timeline doesn't really exist. Isn't that weird? There are chunks missing. News archives, almanacs. It's almost like somebody has been trying really hard to make it difficult to understand superstition's history. I don't find it that surprising. This town is divided. People who want to reveal the truth for their own ends, and people who want to keep them secret for secret reasons. Uh, What's the easiest way to hang on to power? Cut off everyone else's connection to their own history. That's tried and true. So, 
then I've got to rebuild it. I put this idea in your head. Well, actually, Leo Black started me thinking about it. I've been reading through his archives, watching the footage he shot, and, uh, well, you said that Artemisia Smith wrote a book Mm -hmm. about superstition that upset people. It's a doozy of a read, and she's a doozy of a person. In a good way, I think. So you met her. (laughs) She's something, right? Uh, We had an interesting conversation before I got distracted by a runaway paper boy. Conversations with her usually are. Yeah, she told me something about a haunting and a curse. Did she? Anyway, I started reading her book. Have you read it? I found the first chapter pretty strange. It's a letter from Superstition's first mayor. He wrote it in 1899. You interested? You gonna tell me a story? Make yourself comfortable, and I will. Mayor's Journal, the unincorporated town of superstition in the territory of Arizona, August 30th, 1899. The following concerns have come across my desk this week. I document them for posterity. Two requests to sink wells, one from the mill and a second from Mr.s Garcia and Lee. They wish to open a distillery. As mayor, Maybe I should not condone that behavior, but as a drinker, I am delighted by it. Men from the Atlantic and Pacific Railroad Company are surveying land outside town. There's idle talk of a train line going north of here, though I doubt very much we will see it happen. A gentleman from the Babbitt Company in Flagstaff asked for a tour of the town center. I do not think he was impressed. Mrs. Marianne Redmond saw an enormous black dog in the hills behind her home. I assumed she was referring to somebody's lost sheepdog, but no, the Redmond land is on the edge of town, looking west towards hills and sagebrush. Marianne claims that last night, while she and her son Joseph were standing on their porch just after sunset, they caught a glimpse of a huge beast silhouetted against the dying light, impossibly large and black as coal with two burning pits for eyes. Was it a coyote, I asked her, or even a wolf? This close to town, a wolf is a serious concern. But no, she says it is not a wolf. A cougar, then. They are known to follow their prey for miles and days. A cougar is a concern, too. But no, she says, it is not a cougar. It is an enormous black dog. She is sure because she has seen it once before. Marianne told me a tale from her childhood. She came from England to New York as a girl, then Kansas City, and now to superstition. Followed her husband, the now-deceased Antonio Redmond, who was born far south of here. There is an incongruous proper air to her. She looks at me, and I wonder what she sees. An old man with a weathered face, trying to act with authority in a place that rejects it outright. But I digress. When she was a girl, Marianne told me, she saw a spectral dog on the moors. 
As a child, she wandered them until she knew them like the back of her hand. When she was seven or eight, several village children went missing, and her mother forbade her from walking alone at night. Willful, she did anyway. Alone in the dark and the cold, she'd felt something was following her long before she saw it. Afraid to turn around, but more afraid not to. But she couldn't help herself. It's almost impossible to look away from the things we're afraid of. And she found herself staring into the face of a beast, with red eyes and a jaw like a steel trap. She ran and did not look back, and the monster did not follow. After that, Marianne said she didn't walk alone at night anymore. I suspect she's read too many Arthur Conan Doyle novels and has simply seen a coyote. From a distance and in the dark, her fears turned into an apparition. Tomorrow I'll have the Lee boys look into it, lay down a few traps. A personal note. It's strange how these concerns have become so mundane. The lives of these people in a town named for the very fear it raises every time I gaze onto the landscape. Superstition. The icy thrill of the unknown. It's a hard place to be. I cannot say otherwise. Once, I swore I would never rest until I had an answer. I'd never stayed in one place long and never wanted to. But I returned. For something like vengeance. And now I worry about sinking wells and train timetables and black dogs that may be coyotes. We travel on strange paths. Tomorrow, well permits, several meetings with the men from the railroad company. I will set traps. Tonight, it is the end of summer. Rosemary for remembrance. September 4. Marianne Redmond's son is missing. She called on me unexpectedly in the saloon after business had concluded for the day. I had intended a quiet drink without disturbance. The tail end of summer always finds me melancholy, remembering another summer and another time. But Marianne made herself hard to ignore, and for that I cannot blame her. Her son has vanished in the hills behind her home. An hour or so before she noticed his disappearance, she had marked the shape of a black dog against the sky in those hills. I abandoned my drink, fetched the sheriff from his own supper, and asked her to recount the story a second time. Joseph Redmond is fourteen, capable and handy, watches after his mother, their land, their livestock, not the kind to wander unbidden after dusk. He survived the loss of his father and several years in this wild, wild landscape. Marianne says they had both been inside when she heard the sound of howling. She and Joseph had gone to the edge of their fence to look for it. Joseph sent her back indoors, promised to check the gate and locks around their livestock. A five-minute walk in the dark, one he'd done many times, and he had not come back. The sheriff and I knocked on doors, organized a search party. Fifteen able young men with torches and rifles followed us. We turned her home upside down, and then began to search the land beyond her fence. I kept up as long as I could, hope fading as the night got longer. As of my writing this, we have found nothing.
It's far too early to tell, of course. An optimistic man would think we will find him in the morning, easier to spot with the sun high. A practical one might think we'll find his body down a ravine somewhere. But I am the mayor of a town called Superstition, so I am neither of those things. Something in me says that this young man is just gone. It's the wind here. It comes from somewhere even further west. Imperfect, vital, stunning and fast. It sweeps away comfort and raises doubt. Marianne and I stood together for a while as the night deepened, leaving the hard work of combing uneven tread to the young men with two good legs. I did what I could for a while, but my step is not steady and grows more painful every year. Marianne made cups of bitter tea, and her mouth was brittle. We looked over the hills together, the men and their torches like lit fires in the distance. I did not want to give her false hope. People die out here, I said. We both knew that. People die everywhere, she said. She was angry because I said it. Not like they die out here, I said. And I left her alone. A ghostly black dog, there one minute and gone the next, that heralds a terrible loss. It sure sounds like a folk tale, doesn't it? the old kind. Here is what I found on the subject from a printed article in a Boston newspaper, 1867. A black dog, a spectral entity common in the folklore of the British Isles, a portent of death. It appears as a huge canine with glowing eyes. They haunt crossroads or places of execution or ancient pathways. When seen outside a home, it is a sure sign that misfortune befalls those who live there. The dog can foretell if our souls are bound for heaven or hell. A black dog may appear without warning and vanish just as quickly, leaving nothing but scorch marks behind, and the occasional corpse. It is a story, a legend, but legends have power in the telling when they're told with conviction. I know this better than most. September 5, 1899. Forgive the legibility of this log. I have done something rather foolish, and my hands shake badly as I write this. I could not let Marianne Redmond's story of the black dog lie, not after reading about its superstitious origins. I watched the men continue their fruitless search in daylight without seeing them at all. I rarely believe things unless I see them for myself. That's a dangerous proposition. But I could not let it rest. It was as if there was a voice in my ear urging me to follow my own morbid curiosity. One from beyond the grave, maybe. Or beyond time and space. That of a librarian who liked mysteries almost as much as he liked answers. So, when the sun went down, I donned my hat and loaded my rifle, and walked by myself past the ridge of the Redmond's property to wait for midnight. For a long time, I did not think I would see anything. The lights from the town dimmed in the distance. It grew cold. I began to wonder if I was waiting for a fairy tale, and if Marianne's story was simply a story. 
when I felt something move behind me. The desert is filled with wildlife. You have to interrogate it for it to show its life, but I know its patterns. This was nothing I recognized. I could feel the presence behind me long before I heard it or smelled it. That feeling starts as a prickle at the back of your spine, a hot shiver that turns menacing. It was rank, fetid and rotting. Its hot breath moved the chilly air behind my back. My rifle slid in my unsteady hands. I was afraid to turn around, and I knew I was going to anyway. That's always been my folly. The dog was beyond huge, like a mountain given muscle, and waves of rank air rolled from its flanks. Its breath was like steam in the night, its saliva sizzled, claws gleamed like bayonets on the front lines, and its eyes were two coals. Hateful engines in red and black, deep inside a head the size of a steam engine. I could see through it. I could see into it. There were stars there that were not stars. A city that was not real. I fired a warning shot into the air. The sound rang, but the creature did not seem to notice or care. My leg gave out under me, and I fell beneath those terrible claws, that terrible breath. Closed my eyes, certain that I would feel those teeth against my throat at any moment. A violent and rending end to a life gone on too long already. But I did not. I opened my eyes and I was alone. Just me and the moon and the calls of canyon wren in the far distance. I got myself to my feet. And then I ran, as I have not run in years. A sketch of the beast is included in my notes. I did it quickly and from memory after I bolted my own door behind me. My hand was shaking too hard for accuracy, but I believe I have captured a likeness. Wavering lamplight made my own sketch seem to move and shift as the ink dried. I wanted to burn it. Perhaps I should have. Was it a ghost I saw? A haunt appearing to the Redmans, luring their child into the hills? It sounds insane, I know. You must understand that I am a man of logic, not imagination. Once in my life I would have described myself a skeptic. My world revolved around what could be put on paper, repeated through trial and error. A much younger man, with a much smaller understanding of just how strange and unusual the universe might be. I do not think that way anymore. There's a voice in my mind, his advice. Accept the possibility that there is something you do not understand, and the world becomes so much larger. And I am not exactly a stranger at talking to the dead, even if I have never heard them answer back. So, a specter, perhaps, and I can only guess at what it wants. September 12. I did not see the beast again, though I have sat waiting for it on Marianne's porch for a week. Nor is there any sign of Joseph Redmond. 
We have searched for miles in every direction, and there is no body, and no footprints, and no sign of a dog, or something that looks like a dog. This morning I told Marianne I was sorry. I lost someone once, I told her. Not unlike this, and not far from here. Then why in God's name did you ever come back here? She asked me. She is angry. She will not leave superstition as long as she still holds out hope. Because I demand an answer, I said. She didn't ask what that meant. The truth is that I could no more stay away from this place as stop breathing. See, I have seen the truth, and it does not make sense. It is shaped like a shining city, like a black dog in the hills. Beyond the edges of this town, the bright and warm sanctuary it represents, the desert waits. I know its pieces, mountain, canyon, stone, and water. I know it holds secrets. A fury overtook me today. Almost twenty years ago, I lost someone dear to me. He left not even a body behind. Just my memories of a journey, and a kiss, and a few promises. I wait for those memories to fade, but they do not. Joseph Redmond was a young man, a boy really, bright and hardworking and careful with a life ahead of him. And he is gone too. Why? Because of an old wives' tale. Because something in this place is unsettled. Because people die out here. Did I truly see an apparition? Have I come face to face with an omen of my own death? If so, then I should be waiting for that moment, like a soldier waits for a gunshot. Or have I seen something stranger? An invitation to follow into the place where unknown secrets lie. Death is not always the end, when men do not leave bodies behind. Through those hills the high wind sings, things long gone return to us. Someday I must go looking, maybe I am tired of waiting. Someday I know I will venture out beyond those hills alone. I do not believe they will find my body when I do. stars Kira Apple as Jack and Jory Taylor as Izzy, featuring the voice of Graham Rowan. We'll be back with part two of this three-part episode in a couple of days. In the meantime, we'd love to know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Pod Superstition or rate and review us on iTunes. And as always, 
Thanks for listening. <laughs>